Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 22, Morals in Stories, recorded Thursday, June 27th, with your hosts, Grant, Peter, and Brandon. Welcome to Saving the Game. My name's Grant. My name is Peter. And I'm Brandon. Hooray! Yes. You probably don't know what I was hooraying about. It's been a year of Saving the Game. Oh, has it really? It really has. It's June 20th, 2013 when we're recording this, and our first two episodes went up on June 30th, 2012. Nice. Wow. Yeah. We've been doing this for over a year. Off and on, obviously, but it's been fairly consistent. You two have been doing this for over a year. That's true. You know, I actually, I don't remember when the episode that you joined us on was published. It was episode, what, four or five? Oh, don't worry. With the way things are going, like, probably by the time this one drops out, it'll actually be a year from now, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know about that, but... Yep. You have no one but yourself to blame if that is the case. <laughs> no. Uh, unfortunately true. Oh, well. It's the fun of editing. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, a year of it. Not bad. Mm-hmm. Anybody have any other news that isn't a acknowledgement of arbitrary methods of measuring time. Yeah. If you notice, dear listeners, anything different about the sound quality of my voice in this episode, I'd like to apologize for it. If it's bad because I am on an unfamiliar setup, literally this afternoon, a group of friends of mine contacted me and were like, hey, Brandon, we really want you to come over and hang out. We'll buy pizza and everything like that. They live in Baltimore, so I had to drive about an hour in rush hour traffic to be here with them. But I'm kind of hanging out here. I said I would go as so long as they gave me a computer in the basement where I could do this little recording and then nice. head on out. Well, good news for you and their computer. You sound absolutely like you do on any other episode. Yeah, you actually sound really crystal clear clear. I, yeah. I'm going to suggest that your friend lets you borrow his headphones. Yeah, clearly you need to drive to Baltimore and record in the basement every episode. That's right. I also want to apologize for the audio quality that I had last episode. Yeah, when it gets released, there's going to be bad audio on it a little bit for me. Uh, so I'm sorry about that. That won't happen again. I think I fixed the problem on it. Oh, that's good. And while we're apologizing, I'm going to apologize in advance for the scrapping that Brandon and I are about to do in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you guys have been going at it before we even started. Anybody have anything else? No, not that I can think of. If I if I find like like normal, if I find something else, I'll just like re-record it and then put it in, and like so you'll hear you'll hear. Oh, I forgot to mention. (laughs) That's right, except this time you'll have to drive back to Baltimore and borrow this guy's basement. So, that's going to be awkward. Uh, So let's get started then. Brandon, this is kind of your episode, so do you want to start us off with scripture? Actually, do you mind if I take that first one? That's one of my favorite passages. Sure. Go right on. All right. Our first verse tonight is Micah 6.8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. I guess I'll take the second one. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Start children off the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. And finally, we have Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Okay, so the main issue tonight... 
are about putting moral lessons into your stories and your games, and effective ways that you can do it without coming off like a Bible thumper who's trying to shove lessons down people's throats, because that's hardly ever effective. And Yeah, it's yeah. certainly not a good form of evangelism. No, no, no. It's one of those things where I think it feels satisfying to the person doing it, because they're shouting and forceful and expressing their own faith, but as a evangelical tool, I just don't think it's effective. It's only really effective when preaching to the choir. That's one place I am going to agree with both of you, is that I don't think this is something to be used as an uh, evangelism tool. I'm going to disagree with you slightly there. With the kind of people who tend to play role-playing games, and that's an important caveat, with the kind of people who tend to enjoy our hobby, I think overt preaching and overt Christian moralizing doesn't go over well. That's that's what I just said. It's well, not an evangelism it, tool. No, no, no. <laughs> I think it can be a tool of evangelism, which is to say, teaching people to be Christians and to help them find Christ. I think it has to be subtle. I'm not going to say sneaky, because that implies you have to be underhanded with it, but I think... It has to be true. It has to be true, and it can't be about yourself. It's really got to be about the person that you're engaged with. Honestly, I'm not qualified to talk about evangelism, by and large. I'm just... I'm only qualified to talk about the things that make me uncomfortable, even as a Christian, when I hear Well, so essentially what you're saying here is you're basically going to Matthew 10.16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Uh, that's part of it. What I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say, and, and maybe I'm getting us off on the wrong foot here, uh, what I'm trying to say is I don't want to say that you cannot evangelize and teach people about Christ, people who don't know about Christ, people who haven't yet accepted Christ. You, I'm not saying you cannot teach them through an RPG. I think it can be a tool. I think it's a slow process of bringing people in. I would also say that one of our former guest hosts, Shannon, would probably disagree with the idea that you shouldn't do it, because she's done a whole lot of settings in games, and even when we were talking back her about gaming as a church activity, that have right. had some good moral lessons in them. She actually has gamed as a church teaching activity as opposed to just a social activity that takes place at church for the first time since we had her on, though. Mm-hmm. Put a little object lesson here. I'm currently... Uh, I just yesterday played in a game with a couple other booters called Monster Hearts. It's, mm-hmm. it's about teen angst and, you know, like, puberty and all the weird things that happen at that time only with, you know, yeah, people that are monsters and stuff like that and kind of an uh, older Twilight older. the role playing game. Uh, recoiling already. Uh. That's how it was sold, but there is some good stuff. Like they took all the good stuff out about Twilight and left bad things. It's it's basically fantasy young adult fiction. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. More like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which might not be a better to some and might be way better was, to others. Yeah, okay. uh, Biting my tongue. <laughs> but the thing is, my character in there is is an angel, and that's his skin, his his race. And I started playing him as kind of this moralistic person who is really upset just as soon as he came in that the person playing a fae who is 
playing a female character, had sort of seduced this other female NPC. And so, of course, my character was like, raw, this is bad, this is wrong. And I was intentionally playing up the outrage of it to create drama, not to mm-hmm. teach a moral lesson. So, like, that is... What I'm trying to do is get us back onto the point of how to most properly tell a moral lesson in uh, RPGs. It's not... You don't shove it down people's throat, just like in yeah. anyone else in the world. is. You don't come out there, you don't slam your fist down and say, you're wrong, this is bad, go uh, go ahead and do this, and if you don't do it, mm. then you're a horrible, horrible person. Yeah, I think maybe most importantly is you you have to make sure that the moral lesson, lesson you're teaching does not detract from the efforts you put into telling a good, good story. story. I, I think that's important. And I think they go hand in hand. Enjoyment is the first thing you need to focus on. Yes, Grant, you're perfectly 100% right that they do, can go hand in hand and do a lot of times go hand in hand because if you like a story, you're more likely to you know adopt its morals and bring it with you. And here's where we're going to start diverging. Okay. I don't think enjoyment is the thing you should focus on. I think engagement is the thing to focus on. And I actually had you guys both watch a video um, on this before we started the episode so I could make this point. Fun is not the only appropriate type of game. Uh, If you're going to be telling heavy moral lessons, sometimes you may have to go for something that's a little more serious and that's going to make people a little bit uncomfortable. Um, See, I... I, I think what Brandon's saying is talking about enjoyment, yes. which I think is basically just being invested in it. I, I think you're actually not as far apart as you think you are. Yeah. Uh, because certainly I enjoy, for example, uh, I, I've been focused on Legend of the Five Rings here since I just picked that up and I'm looking forward to running a, an L5R game. There's a lot of very tragic stories in Asian heroic storytelling. Yeah. I enjoy those enormously. I don't necessarily think they are light-hearted, giggly fun, but I enjoy them enormously. And because I enjoy them, I am engaged with them. Yes, that is exactly what I was going to do. I'm not saying you don't have to have it a raucous good time. Peter, you're absolutely right. It's, and when we get down to enumerating the ways I try to put some lessons and morals into the stories that I tend to write and tell in a, in a role-playing game context, then we're going to see that a lot of it is about pulling back the fun away from them after they're having engaged in in there, and then you pull them back and say, no, wait, this is serious. This isn't what you're thinking. And to to maybe illustrate it with a negative example, because I do not enjoy, you know, gory horror movies, I don't engage with them. I tune them out. Yeah, same here. If you tried to put a moral lesson in, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, somehow... Don't ask me. We're just speaking hypothetically here. I wouldn't pick it up because I wouldn't be watching it. I wouldn't be paying attention. Well, to It'd be, be happening um, over there somewhere. Yeah, and that's a val- that's a valid point. Yeah, I mean, to give a like- more valid point, actually, to what you're saying is uh, the Saw movies, especially in I think the sixth one where it was a lesson. Did in they a- make six? Yeah, they made a way more than them. Uh, yeah, they they made a- catching up with like the Lamb Before Time. Here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, in one of them. They had a lesson about the failures of the healthcare system, and that was sort of the moral lesson and, and point of the story. Everyone was involved in the healthcare system in one way, and the main guy going through it was HMO or something insurance provider. And it, okay, new idea. Instead of having to watch a terrible, terrible torture porn movie, just email me. I'll tell you all about the yeah. problems with that. <laughs> yeah, and, or you know, do some serious research of your own. Or yeah. 
But that's the point, is the fact is that if people liked the Saw movies and watched it, they would get the message from it. I didn't like the Saw movies, so I wouldn't get that message. It's the exact same way with Michael Moore documentaries. He did Sicko, which was about a lot of the exact same things. Now, if you like Michael Moore documentaries, then you're going to get the message there. If you right. don't like them, then you're not going to get the message there because you're tuned out. Like Exactly. Well, the worst thing you can do when you're trying to sort of make people think about, you know, actions is making them tune out right. and not care. And I know that gets to one of your big points, which yeah. is knowing your audience. Yes. Yeah. We're going to get to that, but first I'd like to start at some of the things that uh, seem new right up on here. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I wanted to hit on, and really this is something we've already touched on uh, by and large, is that most stories that do get told have some sort of moral choice and lesson in them. Now, how important that is to the story varies wildly. And the stories we're talking about here are really those focused on conveying that moral lesson to the listeners and not just entertaining them in some manner. To draw from a couple of Disney examples, it's the difference between The Emperor's New Groove, which... Yeah, it has some moral lessons, but it's mostly about being goofy and funny. Yes, and it's really good at that. Oh, yeah, it's phenomenal. It's probably the funniest thing Disney has ever put out. It, yes. And The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is probably the G-rated movie that least deserves the rating ever made. And <laughs> yes. does a does a very oh. good job of portraying just how scary certain forms of evil can be. And Absolutely. The Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's very good at conveying those lessons, but that does not prevent it from being a good story and being engaging. No, in fact, I would say that that's one of the things that makes it such a good story. Right, exactly. And that's what gets that lesson across, is you stay engaged through the whole thing. So that's kind of what I'm talking about there. Now, the tricky part here is telling stories that teach and remind us of these important lessons. And it's important to note that sometimes we're teaching a new lesson and sometimes we're reminding each other about lessons we've already learned. Right. You You don't go to church and expect to hear a brand new thing every time. Sometimes you need it reiterated for you. Well, it goes back to that favorite C.S. Lewis quote of ours. Grant, you've got it committed to memory. (laughs) Actually, I don't have it committed to memory, and I really should. But basically, it's the idea that by recasting moral lessons in a, a mythic format, they're fresh to us. Instead of tired aphorisms and Bible verses we've heard a hundred times, suddenly it's something we can absorb again in a slightly different way, and it's new and fresh, uh, while really being the same core lesson. The actual quote, listeners, I looked it up while Grant was summarizing it. Pontificating, that's the word. The value of myth is that it takes all the things you know and restores to them the rich significance which has been hidden by the veil of familiarity. Yes, that's it. Thank you. Now, this is tricky because in a collaborative storytelling format like a tabletop game, there's no single person with complete narrative control, which makes it really tricky, especially for a GM who wants to get a lesson like this across. Yeah, you essentially have between one and seven authors in most groups. Yeah. Or if you're Ben Rome, 30. Well... Because you're crazy. (laughs) I'm going to say true, but then again, this can be mitigated a whole lot if you're the GM, because a GM can set up scenarios where the PCs are going to walk into a situation, which is kind of what I want to jump down here to sort of go through the reasons 
how I do it, how I would do it, and hit on that stuff right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing I would say is that you need to know what sort of feel uh, and game that your players are interested in. Yes. Like, are they here for dungeon crawly, monster kicking, pretzel eating fun? Or are they here for high political drama and deep intrigue and different things like that? And depending on which type they are, that will dictate the best approach for you to put them in situations that's going to have to make them think and, you mm-hmm. know, judge and, and take them out of an element and, and maybe consider things a little differently. That's true. And in fact, can I back up one step sure. for you here? Because I think you're right, you're absolutely right, that what game your players want dictate how you can get a lesson across, but I think more than that, it also determines, at least to a very large degree, what kind of lessons you can teach in a particular game. There are, I think, different lessons that can be taught in a dungeon crawl than in a deep character-driven Okay, melodrama. I'll take the bait. What kind of lessons can you teach in a dungeon crawl? Oh, alright, I got Courage, it. Courage, courtesy, selflessness. Heck, I got a whole list of Bushido rules in the L5R book I can just read to you. Let me uh, phrase my question then. What kind of lessons are better suited to a dungeon... Moral lessons are better suited to a dungeon crawl than something more character-driven? Um, I know exactly, and I'm going to say it's, it's from the game that I am running right now. Uh, this coming week, my players in my Y2112 game ended last session at the door of a dungeon, which is basically a house that these goblins had been using for a warren. Now, they've been tasked with the job of kill all the goblins clear them all out, make sure that this is that they're not going to come and they're not going to harass the town again because they've been stealing herd animals. Now, in this dungeon, in the very last room of this dungeon, they're going to find a huddled mass of non-combatants. Women, children, scared, just terrified of what these people have done. Because they've gone through and they've basically massacred Every other goblin that was protecting them, was providing for them, was going out in raids and getting them food. And also, they've been charged with killing every single one of these people. This sort of moral lesson comes in is, what do you do? Do you exterminate these goblins? Do you wipe them out? Uh, And that sort of lesson... All of a sudden, you have a choice between your sincerity and your willingness to follow through on a commitment you've made versus compassion for those less fortunate than you. Yeah, and I'm going to throw out a counterpoint here. How is that more effective when you've gone through four hours of just, you know, dice rolling and tactics than if every one of those acts of violence that you had to commit was treated with a little bit more close-in attention and made less trivial in the game system. Well, the sudden sharpness of the change, as much as anything yeah. else, can be effective. Also, um, people are well, okay, not but likely let me, to... Let me... Hang on, Brandon. Oh, hold on, hold on. Let me, uh, let me finish my uh, point here. You've heard, um, you know, ten deaths is a tragedy, a million is a statistic. I think if you go through too large of a warren on your way to the non-combatants, you're in danger of making it a statistic. No, sure. I mean, he was describing a house. That's not terribly large. Eh, I've seen some pretty big houses before. Well, I have too. I live like a you know two hours away from the Biltmore Estates. Eh, but fair enough. You know, and while that would actually be a really cool dungeon, it's a 
really awesome house. It's probably not what we're talking about here. No, it's it's it's. I I think I grabbed like floor plans from an, a three level apartment. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a, it's not that big, and even if it is that big, it's still a moral lesson. It's still something that's going to make the players stop because they're going to go. Okay, we go and kill him, and I'm going to go. Wait a second. We're going to stop here. These people don't have swords. These people yeah, don't I, have weapons. No, Peter, let me finish. These okay. people don't aren't threatening you. If you kill these people, you are murdering them. You, these are not people who have fought against you. These are not people that offered you any sort of offense. And then I'm going to bring up the fact that they fired the first shot at the goblins at the very first time. The goblins hadn't attacked them or anything like that. They were the ones who are in here. And yeah, you're following You know this person who sort of has good morals, but... And the thing is, neither answer that they have of spare the goblins or murder the goblins is the good answer. The good answer is what we did with the gargoyle. Yeah. The good answer is what we had, is try to find a way to integrate into them society if, they ha- if they're able to uh, communicate with these people, which they likely aren't going to, because I'm going to be giving them Russian as their language. So... The goblins are going to speak Russian, and I don't think anyone speaks Russian. If they get if they get a spell off of comprehend languages, then they can understand them. If they get tongues off, well, then they can talk to them, and then they can set set up stuff like that. But the thing yeah. is, there's a lot of value, I think, in taking your traditional dungeon crawl and suddenly turning it on its head at the end and saying, "Oh, wait okay, a second. so here's where we're running up against a little bit of a difference of definitions. I'm not saying you can't tell a moral lesson with a dungeon crawl. I'm just still not convinced that that is the best way to do it in this case. Does that make well, sense? There, well, there's a lot of good ways to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it may not be the best. I don't know what the best would be well, see, for that, but I'm the point gonna, is you can tell a lot I, of different I, lessons I can, in I different can, ways. Oh, let me, let me yeah. finish. I, I can, you can tell a lot of different lessons in different ways with different game types. You know, for example, again, I, I'm focusing on Legend of the Five Rings here. There's certain types of stories that that's suited to, and certain lessons that come out of those stories or fit naturally into those. There's certain ones that don't fit very well into it. You know, uh, lessons about thriftiness don't fit well into a story set in a culture where you are expected to not pay any attention to money and be incredibly you know, generous and over-the-top with your money. It doesn't work. Conversely, um, lessons about thriftiness are not going to work the greatest in a setting where you're scavenging for survival because if you're not thrifty, you'll die. Yeah. So you need to have some kind of a, a setting where thriftiness isn't required for survival and is an actual moral choice as opposed to just a survival one. Yeah. I mean, if you're forced into it, well, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Peter, I'm going to bring up one point that I wanted to say about whether it's not the best way to do it. I'm going to bring up the line, which I know kind of did this very sort of lesson in the same way. Okay, you're talking about Spec Ops Spec the, Ops line. the okay, line. Okay, I'm with you now. It took the genre of modern shooter, which has become this just bullet storm of mowing everyone down, and if they have an accent that they're evil, and then you do something, you know, and, and you commit atrocities and leave piles of corpses in your way because they're just throwing guys at you and you're shooting them and they're falling. And okay, the line... so you're basically contending that 
that a third-person shooter and a dungeon crawl are kind of the same uh, thing. With with the yeah, I can I can actually get behind that. I, I think you've got a good point there. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm not saying that this is the only way, but what I'm going to counterpoint your argument about every death should be uh, viewed as special and unique, and the camera should pan on every single Ewok. I'm not even necessarily saying that either. But I, I, I understand. I'm I'm, I'm Kind of yeah. Go ahead and use hyperbole. Yeah, yeah. I, I, ad absurd, uh, argument ad absurdum or whatever thing is. I'm I'm taking it to the the idea is that if we linger on the fact that you just killed this goblin, that's going to break immersion for a whole lot of people because they don't want to sit over there and 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 moralize yeah. over the death of every animal and every beast and every every character that they don't put ideas in. Goblins are seen as a non-entity. Why not kill yeah, them? They are fodder. Yeah, they're fodder. They're yeah. experience points. And then all of a sudden, they're not. But the whole point, if they've gone through and they've already committed this atrocity, and then you point back as, this is what you just did. It's going to hit home a whole lot more, and maybe go, maybe we don't want to kill everything we come across. Maybe violence isn't the best answer. Now, in some games, violence is the best answer. Some games, you don't want to think about this. Like the dungeon crawls. Sometimes it's just the drow are in the temple and they're evil and kill them because they're evil. So I'm not saying this for every game, but if you want to do something sort of interesting that might get your players thinking differently about some things and not just ready to kill everything that they come across because, well, it's how we solved every other problem in the, in the past, then this is a good way to start thinking and going about that. Now, I think the game matters. I think the group matters as much or more. Certain groups are going to be open to certain lessons, and it's going to be a tougher sell to get some other lessons in there. And that's going to vary from group to group. And it's not to say that one lesson is less important than the other, necessarily. And we're talking lessons in a very broad sense here, I almost honestly. think that maybe discussion might be... But unless you've got psychopaths... Yeah, if you actually have a group of psychopaths, then, then this might not be the best way to go about it, unless you're someone who's a fan of disciplining players and tying them up and making them hurt, which, if you're into that sort of thing, more power to you. I know there are people out there who are. <laughs> yeah, let's, for yeah. the purpose of the podcast, assume that you're gaming with actual adults that have some kind of a moral compass, even if it's a little bit shaky. Remember how we keep talking about that's not necessarily everybody you should game with all the time? Okay, but here's the thing. If you're talking about actual psychopaths, you're talking about people that are going to be incarcerated or institutionalized. No. I, I understand. Necessarily. I, I guess what I'm trying to say, we're, we're using psychopaths as you know this hyperbole, and if you're, you're dealing with people who are genuinely incapable of emotion, I mean, that's one thing. If you're dealing with people who are simply very fallen people, well, that's sort of what we're here to do. Yeah, but I, I'm not sure I can get on board with the idea of feeding that, even if it is eventually to, to teach well, a lesson. Well, okay, why do you assume it's feeding that? Convince me it's something else. Okay. I mean, we've talked a lot about you know these big, tragic, upsetting examples. In a group like that, I would say instead of you know suddenly saying, aha, now you've got this difficult moral choice, in a group where you've got a lot of people who maybe aren't inherently good people yet, give them simple moral choices and then reward those. Say, hey, you did a good thing. You helped that person. That has benefits, and it's supposed to give you warm, fuzzy feelings or make you go, okay, I understand now what God wants of me. I understand why 
God tells us to do these things, to to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Like I said, the group that you have, to a certain degree, dictate the kind of lessons you can get across. And as that group evolves, they're ready for harder things. We don't start off the first grade Sunday school class with a discussion of David and Bathsheba. Very true. After you figure out what kind of group you're in, basically, no matter what you're going to do, you want to give them choices on, do you do this, do you do that? In my example that I mentioned earlier, which I'm planning on doing, the group has a choice. Mm -hmm. They can do whatever they want with the goblins. I'm not going to stop them. If they want to heinously murder and destroy and and slaughter all the goblins, I'm going to make sure that I say a little bit about, okay, you you guys take them all to the sword, and all of them are dead, and you've completely wiped out the warren. They won't ever be back here. But there could be consequences from that. The goblins have orc masters who are after them. If they figure out who slaughtered them, they might be coming after the people who slaughtered them because you just killed my property. How do you think your player group is actually going to react to this, based I, on your knowledge of them so far? I actually don't know, because they they have been... If you had to guess. I think it's 50-50. I think I'm going to give them a pause a little bit, and then I think that they might go through and just go, I guess we're going to kill him. But then again, the person that gave them the job, they don't really like. So they might not do it. It all depends on the moods of players at that time. Okay, so that that actually brings us to something totally unexpected. Being given a, a task that can lead to moral compromise by somebody that's not very likable makes making the right choice easier? Uh, not necessarily. They don't like this guy because they don't understand him, and, the, and he looks like a greedy pig because he is a pig, and he's kind of the head of the thieves' guild and the merchants' guild in the town, and kind of in control of the town, the, the mafia boss of the area. You really did make Boss Hog, didn't you? Uh, Hog Miser. <laughs> Um, does he wear a white suit? No, he does not. Okay, he's going to start wearing a white suit. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, he's... <laughs> and he needs to be chauffeured around in a Cadillac. Yep. I guess I can't have that happen. I, I'm i not sure and that's... And player characters need to find an orange muscle car with a Confederate flag on the roof at the end of the dungeon. <laughs> the door needs to be too small to get it out, but they need to find it there. The, the car that's won't right. run anyway, because all electronics don't work, so... I could see that possibly being something I could do with a hog miser. And one thing I do want to be careful of here is that we not confuse moral choices with moral lessons. It's, it's possible to present difficult moral choices, but not have them necessarily be a takeaway moral lesson from the game. If it's something where either way you feel horrible and you don't feel like you did the right thing. I don't know that there's a lesson in that, except maybe don't put yourself in this position in the first place. True, but due to the nature of role-playing games and moral lessons to begin with, you're going to have to start with a choice anyway, because most good role-playing games are about choice. I suppose that there can be really, really fun railroads that you go on and enjoy the heck out of and make zero choices as you're taken from one thing to another. Uh, well, yes, I agree, but let's not say that every moral choice is inherently going to teach something. They're a good opportunity for it, but it's not a perfect one-to-one mapping. I completely totally agree with that, Grant. There's not just choices are important, but also the consequences, because a choice without a consequence really is, is meaningless. Yeah, there's There's no choice. And this is one place where you and I are in complete agreement. After you get to know the characters, you want to give the party choices and agency in the story and and environment, and let them affect it. Because if they don't affect it, then they really can't 
do anything. But also, you have to meet the party on their level. If it's a problem where there's a village starving, but a cleric can create food and water, then that doesn't work. But also, if you have level 1 weaklings, they're probably not going to affect the huge political climate of the nations, because there's a whole lot stronger people out there in the world. Yeah, I mean, you have to scale the decisions appropriately. I mean, to a certain degree, that's just kind of basic storytelling and basic encounter design, if, if you will. It's important to remember that you can still tell the story about famine if they have enough hungry mouths to feed. Yeah. The cleric can summon enough food for X people, and there's a hundred times X people that need to be fed. All of a sudden, it's a real problem again. That is completely, totally true. But the whole point of what I was trying to bring out with this is that, while yes, you could have a story where that happens, it might be better to throw a different moral choice at there that they can't just throw spells at. Or throw whatever crazy items that they have at to solve it. Well, I think there's some value in letting them think they can just throw spells at it at first and then just have the problem not go away. Yeah. Like the starvation thing. I'll feed these people, and then all of a sudden, the cleric is totally out of spells, and there's a line that stretches six blocks of people lined up for food, and they're disappointed, and they're hungry. Right. Or, let's say it's a zombie apocalypse-style sort of thing, and your cleric and the rest of your party are in a compound with a bunch of survivors, well, what happens when a rival gang kidnaps the cleric? Yeah. Because they want his spells. That's honestly the other scenario that I've been working on. I'm actually putting this in Y2112, but Mm -hmm. Australia is a penal colony yet again. They ship people there, drop them off in the huge walled continent, and just let them live there. So clerics become incredibly important because... Sure. They can create food, they can create water, and food and water is scarce to find. So if you have a cleric there, people are kidnapping clerics left and right, almost in Firefly, like, oh, we got this doctor, (laughs) sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Going off kind of basically what Peter was saying is, it's not going to be a moral choice if it's easy. If you can press a button and solve the plot, then there's no choice. You press the button, you solve the plot. Yeah, the right choice and the easy choice are seldom the same choice, but conversely... Making the right choice usually has better long-term consequences than making the expedient choice does. Yeah, it says here in Matthew seven thirteen through 4 Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few find it. And that's sort of the idea that you want to get in most games. Going back to the whole goblin scenario, the gargoyle scenario, like, yeah, we could have let the thing go, or we could have killed it, but instead, we did something that was a little harder to do. Yeah, we succeeded because of us hitting it really, really hard, and you allowing it also, but that's something that, even as a player, you can do. My Redeemer Paladin could very well put forth in a game the whole idea that killing might not be the best right choice if I, as a player, start engaging other players in that mindset and start going, no, no, don't kill this guy, I want to talk to him. Of course, it needs the GM to be part of that. If the GM goes, well, he slices you up and he kills you and you're dead, make a new character, you're going to get nowhere with that GM. But if you're with someone who is going to be able to work with you, then even as a player, you can put moral ideas in there and and sort of change a little bit of the way the parties react. Because if I get, like, a couple monsters who owe me favors for teaching them the right way to, to go about in the world, 
that, that when we get into a problem later, I go, oh, I'm going to contact that tribe of orcs. Yeah. Hey, uh, orcs, we need you to come in here and create a disturbance. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something you want to give them a reward later on. Yeah, and I don't want to reduce that solely to a mechanical benefit or an in-game benefit, particularly because we're talking about moral lessons taken out of the game. Characters are the player's hands and eyes and ears and mouths within the game, but ultimately it's not what the characters say and do that matters, it's what the players take away from the game that matters. That's why we play the game. It's for the players, not the characters. Having some benefit come of it over the long term is not unrealistic by any stretch of the imagination, and you shouldn't shy away from it if it's a logical conclusion to the problem. If you do the right thing, unless you're telling a really dark story, often gets rewarded. The thing to remember, though, and one thing that you can definitely do with this, is the right thing might get rewarded, but it might come much later, and it might not be in, like a purely adventure kind of way. You know, it's like you might not get a powerful ally out of it. You may have just saved some helpless people and gotten a better reputation or something. Well, I mean, it's true, but what I'm going to suggest is that you give rewards to players that are a little more powerful. Because if it's that people like you better, well... Uh... This may get back to what can the group take away from this. If the group really understands how much of a subtle difference that is, and hey, you know, they're satisfied with, you know what, we did a good thing today? Yeah. Okay, fine. Maybe they are a little wiser than a group that feels they need some sort of obvious advantage. I just, I think if you turn virtue into a vending machine, you're completely invalidating the moral lesson. I agree, but... A pointless reward is always going to be pointless to the players. If it doesn't benefit them in some way, they're more likely to go, well, that didn't help us at all. And I'm not saying that it has to be something huge and powerful or even that this person has to help you immediately or it has to be the same person that helps you. It actually, I feel it's better if it's not the same person that helps you. The thing is, though, I would think that the end result you want to get to is the player characters are good enough people where they're willing to help somebody who can't help them and won't even say thank you because it's the right thing to do. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right about that. The question is, what do you do with people who aren't there yet? Yeah. You, Peter, as mentioned before earlier, and this is kind of going to get back to the players behaving badly discussion we had, is there are people out there who may need a little bit of course corrections, that they need to be guided towards you don't have to murder everyone. In fact, it could make the game harder for you in the long run. You want to make sure that the rewards you give them, whatever it is, make sense in some fashion. Like, you don't want the farmer that they just saved to pull out a magical sword and hand it to the players. The reward needs to be meaningful for the group, ultimately. Or if you do, it needs to be something that's very affecting. Or if you have someone who's like a bard who is out there for fame, then yeah, maybe just the idea that this person is is having stories told about them, that he goes into the town, and someone goes, look there, it's that guy, and he hears people whispering about him, and someone comes up to him and buys him a beer. Maybe that's what he wants. This goes back to knowing your group, and what's going to give them the rewards that they want. If someone out there is looking for favor, if you've got someone who's a fighter, who wants powerful allies, or, or something like that, then what you can do is, as a reward for having the type of behavior that you think is going to be beneficial to the story, you reward it in a certain way. 
it doesn't even have to be direct. Like, that farmer might not be anyone who's able to help that guy, but that farmer has friends. Maybe that farmer has a cousin who's a merchant in another town. And he contacts him and say, Look, today I met these guys, and he describes them and tells them all about them, and the great thing that they did for me, they, they saved me from this uh, orc attack, they didn't ask for anything in return, I wanted to help them. And so then, like, that merchant guy is doing a business dealing, and he's talking to a couple of his friends. Maybe they're the king, maybe they're the baron, maybe they're a high priest of a temple. And he tells them, Oh yeah, I heard the story from my brother about this one person. And so, while they may not ever see that farmer again, when they roll into the town, and that third person, like, maybe sees them and goes, Hey, I think I've heard a story about you. Or, Do you guys know this guy is a farmer back in this area? Were you the ones who helped him with that uh, orc problem? Oh, you can stay at my inn for free. You know what this kind of reminds me of? Have you guys ever seen that movie, uh, Kingdom of Heaven? Not really. No. There's uh, this guy, he's is a crusader, he's sent to the Holy Land. He duels with a Saracen at the beginning, and... The guy walks away, he behaves very honorably, and the quote that the guy leaves him with and then comes up later in the story when he gets captured is, your enemies will know your quality before ever you meet them. Yeah. He's in a situation where even the people he's fighting against respect him as a, as a good person and somebody of integrity, so that sort of thing can play into it, too. Sure. There's a great example, actually, from the historical Crusades, you know, this kind of classic battle of strategy and tactics between Richard the Lionhearted and Saladin. They had such great respect for each other that when Richard fell ill, Saladin sent him doctors so that he would get better so that he could face him honorably on the field of battle. You get that sort of element from it. I do want to stress that not every moral choice necessarily should be rewarded so that it doesn't become a vending machine, like you said, Peter. I think the ratio of times when you get the the small secret joy of having done the right thing and, you know, having done something, you know, pleasing to God, as it were, um, the ratio of that between obvious material or social or personal in-game rewards depends entirely on the player in the group, but it shouldn't be all the time, one way or another. Grant, you're absolutely correct. It shouldn't be a vending machine, and that kind of goes back to how reinforcement really works. If you give someone a reward for pushing the button every single time... You have Diablo well, 3. <laughs> yes, but if you but... give them rewards infrequently, they'll continue pushing yeah, that this button. This is the, the classic rat and the lever experiment that they did, where yeah. a bar that did nothing, the rat kind of played with and said, alright, that doesn't do anything. A bar that always dispensed food when the rat pushed it, they would just sort of eat their fill and then be done with it. When the bar randomly provided food, all the rat would do would be sit there and press the bar. It's this bizarre compulsion inherent in mammals, from rats to man, to, depending on how you look at it, either gamble or to be sure you have enough because you're never sure what it is. And I don't want to make it random, but I think there's value in contrasting those kinds of rewards. Sometimes you get that glow of success. You know, actually, Brandon, I want to I want to give you credit here. I think you finally found a way to make the Skinner box not a reprehensible <laughs> way of running a game. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I think this is the first time anybody in the history of the human race has ever done that. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo, sir. Yeah, but 
to wrap this up, I think there's value in contrasting those kind of, of rewards. The private well done to the public acclaim, there's value in both of those, and, and we should move on. Well, the one thing I do want to say is that, yes, you shouldn't do it for randomly, and if it looks like someone's trying to, like, pay a gold to a peasant so that they get a magic sword later on in the game... Cough, cough, yeah, Skyrim. Yeah, you don't do that. You, you don't reward that at all. But if they do something that's very genuine and has meaning, then you need to meaningfully reward them. Yeah for it. You should, because if you don't meaningfully reward them for it, what you're really saying is that I don't endorse this. Yeah. One thing that I do want to call out here is you also want to avoid going in the other direction and going into no good deed goes unpunished yes, territory. Yes, that's true. Though. You also, as that's true. Peter was saying about no good deed goes unpunished, is yeah, there are some times where good deeds can go wrong. In my Y2112 game, in one of the first sessions, they didn't kill a bandit that they had dead. In fact, they healed him. And so I had this whole story planned where this guy was going to be sort of a rogue for them. If they treated him right and they did sort of really good things, and he was going to like let them get into sort of little areas that he knows about and help fill out the party in areas they didn't have. The problem is, he kind of got into a fight with one of the other characters and ended up kind of screwing over the party for it because of other actions. Well, and to use a very sobering real-world example, how many good people were killed because they hid Jews from the Nazis? Yeah. Good deeds can be punished, but, like, you are right that you should be very, very careful how you handle that. It Um, definitely should not be every time, because that just, it gets tiresome, and then... Well, and that's negative moral conditioning at that point. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the players learn, well, we shouldn't try and make choices, or we shouldn't try and do the right thing, and that's not good. Now, the next point that you have on the list is important, because while we're not talking about the GM punishing you for doing the right thing, players sometimes choose the wrong thing. And frankly, sometimes the GM chooses the wrong thing in reaction to something the player presents them with. Yeah, and like I said, is but that's something that I fully agree with. You allow the player to make the bad choice. Because if you don't allow the players to make the bad choice... It's a form yeah. of railroading. But yeah. no choice at all. Then it's railroading. Yeah. Going back to what I had said in the whole players behaving badly, the words that I think launched my war against Peter, which was that if the players come to a town and the town's not letting them in, and the players choose that they're going to attack the town, let them. I would completely, totally let them do it. You can make this hugely wrong choice that is going to have huge consequences and is going to make someone else come after you. Yeah, you know, the thing is, you can let them do it, but my contention, and this is where I think our our points of view really diverge, is I am going to rub their face in the evil of what they're doing and make them feel as icky about it as possible. I want that to be sticking with them on Wednesday when they're at work. And I don't think you'd approach it that way. Um, I think for me, at least, it depends on what choice it is. There are small wrong choices and there are big wrong choices. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, we're talking about massacring a town. Right, yeah. If we're we're talking about about, a a big. Picking somebody's pocket. Well, yeah, if we're talking about a a really big wrong, yeah, I'm with you on that. See, I, I wouldn't describe it in detail, but everyone they came across would be sure to mention to them, you sacked a town get away from me. They would be attacked, they would be struck down. And this is just a matter of approach, whether you do it right then, or whether the consequences stretch out over session after session after session. Oh, I would do both. 
I am I am not well, saying you, you don't do, do both. both. At this point, I think we can safely say this is just a personal choice on how to make those consequences felt. Yeah, this this is really a matter of style and particular groups. Yeah, so let's not dwell on that per se, but that there should be consequences. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because that's another way that we learn. Back it away from moral choices here for a second. There's a reason that my daughter, who's just learning to walk, falls down a lot. She learns more from when she stumbles and when she puts a foot wrong and when she falls and hits her head than when she manages to take a step successfully. And that's why I don't walk behind her all the time with my hands held out, making sure that I catch her every single time she falls. The helicopter parent produces a child that just doesn't... Isn't self-sufficient when they grow up. Not self-sufficient, but also they don't really understand how to learn from failure. And that's important. We fall from Proverbs. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase it here because my memory of Scripture is woefully lacking, but you you fall seven times and stand up eight. We sin and then are forgiven. And that doesn't excuse the sin and it doesn't encourage us to sin, but there are times when we look back at the sin and really understand the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. Yeah. It's there. It's part of the human condition. It's not the best part, but it's important. And and this is where I get to probably my most controversial opinion of the entire episode. Okay. I think that if the players decide to do something really awful in-game, I think that if you are dealing with players that are are in the actual adult category. Right. <laughs> so this is not a one-size-fits-all. I just want to make that clear up yeah, Good front. players. Good players. The kind of players that I notoriously have. <laughs> yes. I think if they do something absolutely horrific, like we were talking about earlier, it is fine to just physically drop some object on the table, look at them as you know one person to another sitting at a table, break the fourth wall, and be like, Really? Show actual, out-of-game, genuine moral disgust and horror. See, I would do that, but I wouldn't use that as a tool. If something shocks me that a player is doing that, I will show actual outrage. But I wouldn't, as myself, and I don't know if this is what you're saying, feign the outrage to do something like that. You know what I... Here's kind of what I'm getting at. I think it's okay to not tamp down your outrage. If something is borderline, to go ahead and go with the shock side of things, because for our listeners in the United States anyways, our culture is kind of saturated in violence. And we're all a little bit desensitized to it, regardless of how much we think we're not. So I think if something even starts to crack the desensitization, it's probably past the okay threshold already, and it's okay to show a response to that. True, and but then again, there are people who have played really, really horrible things for other reasons. Like, I, I tortured NPCs as one of my characters, who was a very, very evil person, because that was the story of the character. And I I know I had in my Inquisition game, I had a player who did torture and describe this horrendous thing, and I was really, really shocked at what he was doing, and I was genuinely... Yeah, I'm not sure I would have let that continue at my own personal table. Just... In my game, it happened with... The the dude just started saying it, and I was too shocked to stop him. Uh, Yeah, well, that happens. Sometimes you just kind of go... Yeah, yeah. Really? The 
disbelieving freeze yeah. is a thing. Yeah. That's for sure. And with my thing, it was more that I declare I do this. And then I wait a bit. I declare I do this. And I was waiting for someone to stop me. And I was waiting for someone to speak up. And no one spoke up. Yeah. And there's sometimes some value in pointing out, so nobody stepped in? Really? Okay. Let's go further. You know? Yeah. Nobody said anything. Nobody did anything. There's a lesson there. You know? (laughs) So, yeah... It can be useful. It's a little shocking, and like you said, it's not fun, but it's engaging at times. And, you know, in that sense of, oh, wow, I really didn't do anything. Ooh. You know, I think we've actually come around to another worthwhile point. Standing by and doing nothing is a moral choice, and sometimes it's a really terrible one. Yeah, it is. And I don't want to get too into specifics on, you know, particular moral choices, that can be made theoretically in a game, but I would say if you're trying to put moral choices into a game, don't let doing nothing not be an option. Yeah, and yeah. don't let doing nothing be an option without consequences. Yeah. 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 Like I said, is one way to do this is confront them, the PCs, with an injustice of some sort and offer them a chance to get involved in supporting the injustice, working to end it, or ignoring it like everyone else. Try to limit the last option as much as possible. Because... If you can walk away from something, that's what a lot of people do. I wash my hands of this. I just wash my hands of it, and I just walk away. The whole I wash my hands of it thing, let's not forget the origin of that. That's why I brought it up. Pontius Pilate did not want to execute Jesus. In fact, he tried really hard for quite a while not to execute him. And finally, when it became politically inexpedient for him to defy the mob, he caved in. And that was when he said, I wash my hands of it. The History Channel did a five-part series on the Bible not all that long ago, which was basically a dramatized retelling of the high points of the Bible. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I suspect some of our listeners have. I didn't because I don't have television service. If it ever comes to Netflix, I'm going to pounce on that sucker. I, I know you didn't have TV and... I had a couple of issues with some of the things they did. I think they focused too much on battle and combat scenes, and there were a few scenes that I would rather them have included in lieu of that. So the entire book of Judges got included, basically? Well, no, that's part of it. They only did Samson. You know, there are so Uh. many other interesting (laughs) judges. There are so many other interesting people, and they spent, like... Please tell me they at least did Joseph. No, they skipped Joseph. They skipped Joseph? I know. Things like that. And they spent five, six minutes on the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet they skipped Joseph. Fire raining down and that sort of thing. It's big, dramatic television, but I think that was a entertainment choice. Did they at least get the reason for Sodom and Gomorrah right? Yes, they did. Right. I don't have a problem with any of the theological points they made. They did a really good job, and it really was very touching. Like I'm not knocking it too much here. There's just some things I really kind of wish they'd done because it would have appealed to me more as much as anything else. But I say all but this. Still, I, how do you skip Joseph? I know. I, know. I say <laughs> I can't get over that. I know. I, I couldn't either. It annoyed me. But I say all of that to mention that the Bible, as a show, did an excellent job presenting Pontius Pilate and his unwillingness to execute Jesus and basically just his throw up his hands, you know what, fine, whatever, I don't care if it's the wrong thing, y'all do what you want. That's kind of the attitude that it was. Really, you'd rather take this violent terrorist 
and let him go free and have me execute this quiet this kind-hearted teacher this quiet preacher really yeah all right so be it and they really got that across very well and it was very very touching they did that exactly right so i wanted to to mention that that was done very well the new testament overall was actually done very well the the old testament covers so many stories and such a big thing i i would have wanted them to have like eight more episodes anyway but that's me yeah well, maybe they'll do a second part of it, and they'll catch some of the less combat-y stories, I guess. Well, there it kind yeah. of seems like Pontius Pilate was the GM trying to teach the moral lesson, and the players, the crowd, just wasn't going to let Well, him. yeah, let's not pretend he was guiltless in anything here, but... Oh, he wasn't, of course, but, like, from what you were describing, he he's like, well, let's do this, let's do this. He is here. an excellent example to come back around to when we're doing our Virtues yeah. and Vices series on courage, though, or when, whenever yeah. we touch on that, because he's a good example of somebody who starts out with some of it and then it fails. Well, and I would disagree, but we're getting off topic there. I said some, not copious amounts. So is there any other points that we want to hit? The only point I had left, and I think this is an important one because it applies to both the GM presenting lessons to players and players contributing as part of a collaborative storytelling process, giving the GM something to work with and other players something to work with. I think it's okay to present a problem or a situation or a lesson to learn when you yourself maybe need to learn that too. It's okay to put yourself in a situation where you have to remind yourself, yeah, okay, this is the right thing. Or even to say, I don't know what the right choice is. I struggle with this, so here it is. Let's put it front and center. Because you don't learn anything by running away from your problems. I I think there's value in doing that. First of all, as a GM, it's fun to say, here's a problem. I don't have a solution in mind. You tell me. And Maybe on some things you need to have something in your back pocket, but sometimes when it's a central point and the players have to make a decision, you can just say, here it is. I don't have a path picked. What is it to you? If you come to someone with a decision, I always, as a GM, would recommend that you have some options because having no options leaves you high and dry when they pull something out. But I would say is you try to imagine them going along with your plan as your first option. You try to imagine them walking away and doing nothing and what becomes of it. You try to imagine them uh, robbing everyone of their stuff, and you try to imagine them yeah. murdering everyone involved. Because those are the two, you yeah, know... and then try and come up with a fifth option that you didn't think of before, because the players will think of it. Yeah. That is basically what yeah. you have to do. Is <laughs> They'll do the right thing and somehow manage to get everybody killed anyway. Yeah. That's how actual games Well, I've noticed somewhere between those four things, you can probably go, well, they did a little bit of this and a little bit of that, so the outcomes can probably morph out like this. And you go, well, yeah. this is a whole other thing I didn't account for, but since I know how these other things go out, I can follow the tree. I can discover where this new branch would grow. Right, and I I want to be careful that we're not, again, conflating moral choice and moral lessons here, because presenting players with a choice is one thing, but I think there are things I know I struggle with as a Christian, as a gamer, as a person, and I think it's okay and interesting 
to bring those up in a game and explore them. Yeah, and this is what I wanted to come back to. I really liked the exact wording that you used in the outline, and I wanted to call it out. It's, you, you wrote, Don't be afraid to present a problem or situation where you aren't confident that you would do the right thing yourself if it came down to it. We're none of us perfect. Yeah. And I think that is a really good lesson to take away from this. For two reasons. One of them is the obvious one of you're going to get a much more interesting story out of it and that sort of thing. The other one is, and once again, this goes back to Peter only plays with good people, apparently, but (laughs) if you've got some people in your group that you know don't struggle with a certain area that you do struggle with, throw a disguised version of one of your worst struggles at them and see how they handle it, because then you suddenly have a new moral trick up your own sleeve. Sure. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a particular pithy problem or lesson or, or choice, anything along those lines. One of the reasons that I played a Catholic priest in the mage game I played in, the three-year prologue to the vampire game that's running now, the reason I said, you know what, a Celestial Chorister would be awesome, I'm going to make him a devout Catholic priest. One of the reasons I did that was because my faith was just starting to reawaken a little bit, and I specifically said, I want to play something that will make me struggle with those questions of faith and make me be a Christian in front of other people. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to fall down on the job a few times, I'm going to fail, but I need to start moving in that direction. I need to put it out there to work on. So, I think it's okay to do that and maybe you end up with a more honest and engaging game in some ways because you're presenting a game where the GM has to go to the players and say, okay, I can't tell you what the answer is. I can't railroad you. You've got to find your way out of this. It's a thought. Yeah, it is a thought to just give them a situation and just have them deal with it. That's one of the great ways to teach moral lessons is just, hey, boom, what are you going to do? No plan, no nothing, go out there and do it. Because then you're... You have to be really good at improv in order to do that. Uh, Walking out with a plan makes you have to think on your feet. Do you necessarily, or do you just have to be really good at observing? Well, if I don't know, like, you have to be able to, you have to be good at thinking on your feet if you don't have the plan. And to be fair, all GMing, you have to have thinking on your feet, but there is a difference between, to borrow the fear of the boot, Dan's GMing and Chad's GMing. Like Yes, the, the heavily planned versus heavily improv. Yeah. And I'm not saying that, of course, yeah. that Chad never has a plan and Dan never improvs, but they have two different things. I am. I am saying that right now. <laughs> All right. I'm calling them out. Uh, yeah. All right, go. Yeah. I'll make sure both of them hear this clip. Another thing, actually kind of going back to the whole mention about the Matthew 7 quote about the Broadway being easy and leading to destruction, sometimes it's, instead of just making the wrong choice the quickest to do make it somehow rewarding to the players like one of the moral things that is going to come up a little later is they already have in their possession a pouch of coins which got taken from this guy who was smuggling guns and they helped bring this guy in and his wife and his daughter were on the trip with them the wife has been taken into questioning and it's been implied by me that the daughter is probably going to be taken to an orphanage because of the fact that one of her parents, if not both of her parents, may soon be in jail for 
them trying to smuggle in weapons. They were given the contents of the cart, including the contents of the cart, was a coin pouch that had uh, a whole bunch of coins in it and a wedding ring from the couple. It was just an iron ring with a little glass heart in it, but it's a ring of protection plus two. Mm -hmm. So the moral choice here is, this thing is something that is powerful, that if you use will help you survive, but you're going to be wearing someone else's wedding ring. And you can guarantee, even if they listen to this, if they haven't returned the ring, there's probably mercenaries coming after it, because the woman probably is going to be released, and it's probably going to want her wedding ring back. And she knows who they are. Yep. Yeah? I'm content leaving the episode on that little vignette. How about you guys? Yeah, I think so. I want to throw in one little shout-out. Um, uh, actually, probably two little shout-outs. I've tried joining two games, a Mass Effect D20 game, and the, of course, Monster Hearts game. In both of the ones I've done, it was mentioned that I was branded from saving the game, so at least one listener is in both groups. Cool. Excellent. To the people playing with Brandon, awesome. Thanks for putting up with them. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks for running a good game that he can enjoy and bring examples into our podcast from, since I'm apparently suffering from rather severe GM burnout. I, I don't know. Yeah. No, seriously. It's, it sounds awesome. Anyway, so on that random tangential note, I guess we should wrap things up. Thanks for listening. We were all over the place. I'm sure we probably have a lot of people alternately going, oh, yeah, of course, and oh, these guys are so wrong. So we want to hear about all of that. Actually, Um, we're all over the the place in the raw audio, but by the time Brandon has worked his editing wizardry, it's going to sound like a college (laughs) lecture. No, it'll sound like a, a college debate with me going, guys, guys. Guys. Yeah, well, it'll be totally cogent. Guys, guys, <laughs> stop. But no, seriously. Um, we, we love- I honestly don't think that I'm going to be doing as much editing magic as I did with the whole um, uh, are the seven deadly sins sins to me. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Anyway, we love hearing feedback on all these episodes. It's a lot of fun. And we really like it when people actually get into a debate themselves talking about it. So it's we love hearing about that, and we really encourage you guys. Get on our Google Plus community. That's where most of the conversation happens, and let us have it. Yeah. It's fun to hear. On that note, I want to thank all of you for listening. Go to our website and find all of our social media stuff. Listen to past episodes. we got a lot of good stuff there. That's savingthegamepodcast.org. And from all of us here at Saving the Game, thanks for listening. Good night, everybody. Peace, and see you later. This has been a production of Saving the Game, copyright 2013. This podcast may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, provided that credit is given to savingthegamepodcast.org. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. For past episodes, podcast news from our hosts, or to connect with us, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.